I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello again, my friend, and welcome in to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Not as big a deal, 101st episode. I mean, although, why not, right? We've, we've gone beyond 100. So it's, it should still feel like, it should still be a big deal, right? I mean, here we are, 101 of these things later. And uh, thank you for sticking with us. Or if it's your first time joining us, thanks for taking the ride. I'm Clint Davis. I talk movies and TV uh, on this humble little program every month. And uh, I do it from a little studio inside my closet in Columbus, Ohio. And usually on the show, we're also joined by my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak. He's like our music director here on the show. He talks about streaming music. I talk about streaming movies and television. We kind of share the duties. But this month, he's off. He was at the uh, Met Gala last month. Uh, You may have seen pictures of him there. Um, Billie Eilish kept trying to get in the pictures with him and he was just you know kind of gently just kind of trying to brush her get her off of there get her out of his shots um he handled it in a classy way i thought but anyway he's still nursing his hangover so he'll be back with us again next month don't worry too much um i urge you to as always find me on instagram and on tiktok at mr clint davis that's about all i've got on social media anymore these days in the last couple months i have Uh, I have cut myself away from Facebook. I have cut myself away from Twitter. uh, And, you know, it's just one of those things, man. And I haven't uh, regretted it at all, honestly. So, but I'm still hanging out there on Instagram and on TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis. If anything, I think TikTok will be the last one to fall. It would be the, it's the, it's the one that is the most joyous, I think still. But, you know, the, the, they all started out that way. And then they all eventually became cesspools. Uh, so it's it's just kind of the natural course for these things. They, they have about a 10-year life of being worth your time, and then they, they become something very poisonous, I think. So anyway, find me on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis. And you can check me out on YouTube at Overdue Review. Andy, by the way, is on Instagram at Andy Sedlak. Uh, so usually when I start the show here, I like to light up a stogie in my closet. It's just the way I kind of get the mood going, but I've been sick. I got the flu, no COVID still. I'm, I've been COVID free the entire pandemic. If you can believe it, my friend, it's taken a lot of work. If you've been listening, you've heard my, uh, what I've been doing to avoid it. Um, 
taking it more seriously than, than I probably needed to. But, uh, you know, just one of those things. And uh, I've successfully avoided it, but got the flu from my son going to preschool. You know how that is if you've got kids. Um, and even if you don't, you probably know still. And so, yeah, I've not felt good over the last week. So this episode's actually coming at you a little bit later than it usually would be because I couldn't really talk at all uh, the past week. Uh, and certainly couldn't spend any time pontificating on television shows and movies as I like to do just for you, my friend. But now I'm I'm back. So I don't want to I don't want to regress by lighting up a stogie and making myself feel worse. So unfortunately, that's going to have to wait till next month as well. But you know what won't have to wait till next month? Our regular look at the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And for our 74th entry into the canon, we're going to go back once again to that absolute golden age of TV show theme songs, the late 1980s. It was a a boom period for sitcoms and for theme songs in general. It was the era of the song summing up the whole storyline of the show usually like in you know the show was like 22 minutes long and they spent a full 90 seconds to 120 seconds on a theme song so like i mean it was just eating up so much time out of the show but really would you skip it would you have cut it off for anything no i don't think you would because it's it's just a a a perfect part of the show i mean it'd be like removing your arm for no reason you want it it's part of you It's an essential part of the show. It's one of the reasons we love it. Um, But this theme song, actually, this one that I'm going to do is from 1987. And it doesn't so much as explain the story of the show, but it very perfectly gets you into the vibe of the show. And I'm talking about the great theme song from ABC's Full House called Everywhere You Look by Jesse Frederick. I mean, if you don't know this one word for word, then you've never seen an episode of this show. It's one of those songs that just immediately becomes a song that you know and you look forward to hearing again. And it's by the great Jesse Frederick. This is the second time we're honoring him uh, on our greatest TV show theme songs of all time. Several years ago, we put the uh, Family Matters theme song onto the list of the greatest TV show theme songs of all time. And I actually said, I think that I consider that to be his magnum opus, even though Jesse Frederick had a bunch of them. He's one of like, you hear his voice on this song. And then I remember like being a kid watching TGIF and it was like the Jesse Frederick theme song block. I mean, he did the theme, the theme for perfect strangers. And then he did the theme for full house and he did the theme for family matters. And it was just a step by step. And, it was just crazy. Like every song sounds like it's by the same guy. And then of course, later I find out they were all by the same guy. He just had a gig then doing the theme songs for these Miller Boyette sitcoms that dominated TGIF back in the day. Whatever happened to the milkman, the paper boy. So Jesse Frederick is still with us. He's 73 years old at this point, based on what I could find out. Uh, He's from Maryland. And uh, at the time he was doing these theme songs in the 80s, he was just about 40. He was late 30s, um, just about turning 40 and, and really, you know, 
had lived enough life, had done enough composing to get this kind of plum job where he's cutting theme songs for, uh, you know, all of these TV shows that are going to end up being popular television shows. And he also did the theme song for uh, Valerie. Um, if you remember, if you remember the show Valerie at all in the, in the late 1980s, he did that one as well. But Full House is probably the one that is the most famous, his song everywhere you look. And I think it's just, it's kind of one of the archetypal late 1980s, cheesy, syrupy, feel gets too feel good uh theme songs from that era it's just kind of got it all it's got the cheesy guitar it's got the like just that syrupy rock and roll going on in it that is so overproduced and so obviously passed through the factory of um a million producers and network executives giving it the thumbs up and saying that this was this was fine this will do this works jesse um but you know what? I wouldn't change a note of it or a word of it. I just think paired with the images of this, you know, just a totally wholesome little family of of little girls and these guys that are raising them in this house in San Francisco and the painted lady houses and all that stuff, uh, them cruising along the Golden Gate Bridge in a, a, a convertible and eating a picnic. I mean, just all that stuff. It is so like sweet that it actually hurts to watch it's painful um that the that life was ever like this because really it never was and i think the song if you listen to the lyrics it's actually getting into that a little bit did i get to live it here somebody tell me please What I think is funny is you hear the the iconic opening line of this song, Whatever Happened to Predictability, The Milkman, The Paperboy, Evening TV. Isn't that exactly like something you would hear some old bag saying on like Fox News or something, whining about how the world has changed and it's moved on and whatever. I remember The Milkman and The Paperboy and Evening TV when you could sit around with your family and watch it. I mean, it's like something you would hear some right-wing politician uh, stumping on uh, to like elect me. I'm going to bring these things back that really didn't even exist. And, and here was a song in 1987. You know what I mean? Like already they were being nostalgic for where did these things go? And people are still 30 years later, 30 more, 35 years later now, Still, like, where did these things go? And it's just like, what is the this nostalgia for? It's for something that never existed. It's for paintings. It's not for any life that anyone really had. Um, so, you know, the the song is pro- is painfully earnest. But I do think it's funny that we really haven't gone kind of beyond that to this point. So shout out to Jesse Frederick there. Then a little voice inside you But it's so sentimental. It just sets the scene of this sweet show, this dad who would do anything for his girls and, you know, who's leaning on his two uh, good friends that, uh, you know, have, have come to help him out. And, 
you know, it's just a well, one of them is his, his brother-in-law and the other one's his friend. But, you know, I mean, it's just a, a kind of an ideal like it's a situation that everyone who watches this show, like, wouldn't it be great to be in this situation? I mean, they're all getting by basically on one guy's income. They live in the most expensive city in the United States in a massive house, iconic kind of house. And, you know, they're all just getting by public schools. Great. Uh, he's on TV every day. He's doing a TV person's job, which Andy and I both laugh knowing what that, what those kind of gigs pay. So, you know, I mean, all that stuff, you got to throw it out the window. So it's a pure fantasy, full house from start to finish. But, uh, does that hurt it? No, I think it helps it. I think it's the, kind of the entire point. And helping us indulge in that fantasy is, of course, Jesse Frederick, who wrote the iconic theme song. And he sang it as well. That Those are his dulcet tones bringing you this song and all those other great ones that I mentioned before, Family Matters and Step by Step and uh, Perfect Strangers. But Full House, uh, probably the most singable of all those theme songs that he did, probably the one that he is going to be the most remembered for when he goes into the ground. I think Jesse Frederick, uh, the the Full House theme song will be the one that people are playing uh, when they're doing obituaries for him the next day on NPR. That's just my humble opinion. But anyway, everywhere you look, the theme song from ABC's Full House, which ran from 1987 to 1995, uh, that is our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time. This week. What a song. I mean, seriously, pure childhood memories. And um, I don't remember, like, having any strong feelings ever on Full House. I don't remember, like, loving it. I love this show. Um but I do remember liking it an awful lot, and I do remember watching it a lot, and I do remember it just it being part of kind of the background of life. And you're probably, if you grew up in the late 1980s, early 90s, you feel the same way, I'm sure. I mean, TGIF was one of those things that, you know, we were lucky that we got to sit around and just kind of watch these silly shows and um you know, enjoy them together. If you were able to do that, uh, it was, it was cool. I mean, you know, that stuff doesn't really exist anymore because watching live TV just isn't a thing that really hardly anyone does anymore. Uh, and certainly like not with their parents really. I mean, because everyone can, can kind of watch whatever it is they individually want to watch that the idea of watching shows together is so quaint that I think if they did full house, Again, now you'd have to say, like, remember watching TV together as a family. I mean, which I guess they did when they said evening TV. But I don't really know what they were being nostalgic for at that point because evening TV was still going strong in 1987. So I don't really get that lyric. Um, If anything, I'd say it was more consistent then than it was whenever he was singing back to. But Anyway, it's it's like what world do you want? Like this this full house situation is great. Everyone's having a good time, everyone's having fun and you're wishing for something else. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of classic, isn't it? Maybe I'm I'm looking too deep into the full house theme song. I've I've been told I do that. And now for something completely different. So, I got to tell you, my friend, it has been 
a long road since the pandemic began um, all these years ago, two years ago and change. And, and you have been able to follow along with my journey through it. If you've been listening to this show that entire time uh, and you, you know that I had not been to a movie theater since the last movie that I saw in theaters before the pandemic uh, began, and I think this was in February of 2020, so it was like right before the pandemic began, might even have been late January of 2020, uh, was Parasite. And so, I mean, that movie at this point, it's already become a classic, but that was the last movie I saw in theaters when it was new, Parasite. And it, it the pandemic happens, and like, not going to the movies was unthinkable to me. Those people who were like, oh, I haven't been to the movie. My mom, she's one of these people. I haven't been to the movies in like a year. And I'm just like, how do you do that? Like Beth and I would go to the movies all the time. And this was before, you know, we had our son. Uh, but I mean, all the time, every weekend, multiple times a weekend, sometimes it was just a constant part of our lives. And it was really like my favorite thing in the world to do which probably doesn't surprise you listening to this show. Um, but so we went two years and more without going to the movies, which was nuts. I mean, I would have never, ever imagined that that would be something I would say uh, in my life. But it happened. and It only took a global pandemic that has killed a million Americans alone uh, to get me out of the movies, but that's exactly what happened. But I got to tell you, my friend, since the last time we spoke, I went back. I found myself back in a movie theater with a few other people with Beth. We went out for, uh, we went out on a date. We had our son staying with my mom and we decided to go uh, out to dinner and we went to a late movie and we went and saw what was our big return back to the theater. What else? The Batman with Bob Pattinson playing uh, Bruce Wayne. Remember when that casting was announced a couple years ago and it was like, oh my God, the Twilight guy is going to play Batman? Like it sounded like an onion headline. And you know what? I wouldn't have picked any other movie to make my return to the cinema than The Batman, which was directed by Matt Reeves, who is a big-time filmmaker, a big-time blockbuster filmmaker, but who really became a name that a lot of people know because of this film. And I think it's for very good reasons. So I wanted to talk about the Batman because now it's streaming for you on HBO max as I record this. Um, so you can check that out on HBO max. And I totally urge you to do that. I'm sure you already did. If you already had interest in Batman at all as a character or comic books or anything like that. I mean, it's probably way old news. I mean, I'm sure you, you already went out and saw the Batman. I mean, it hit theaters a couple months ago, but if for whatever reason you missed it, maybe you haven't been ready to go back to theaters yet, man, if, if that's the case, don't blame you whatsoever. No judgment from me. I get it. I mean, it's still scary out there. We were still worried, uh, sitting there at the theater watching this movie, but I was able to get lost and I was able to forget about all that for a little bit for stretches at a time. Um, except for when I like, you'd hear somebody cough behind you or something. And it was like, Oh Jesus Christ, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> all this to watch a movie I can watch on HBO in a week. Um, but it was phenomenal to see a movie in theaters and to see a movie that was made with this level of precision was especially 
thrilling to go see in a theater, just having the sound blasted at me again up on this and this looking at this massive screen and seeing these visuals that could have been dark and muddy at home come to life on the biggest screen. Um, you know, just it was thrilling and it was it was really a return to what I truly, truly love. So, you know, seeing a movie in theaters, I think, always makes the movie seem better than maybe it even is. Um, you've probably noticed that yourself before. Maybe you watch a movie a second time at home and you're like, yeah, it was it was still good. But, you know, it really blew me away in theaters. And I think it does. I mean, it makes movies better. You know, I mean, there's no no question about it. It's like seeing a movie. It's like seeing a show with like the original Broadway cast or seeing like a touring version of it or seeing like a high school do it. I mean, there's a, it's the same show, but it's wildly different. I mean, just the, the atmosphere is different. Everything just feels electric. And in a movie theater, that's the way that these movies are meant. That's the way they're made to be shown. So there's the reason why it just makes it all feel better. And like I said, Matt Reeves, who directed the Batman, He's a big time director. This is not some indie guy who got who made some critical darlings and they were like, hey, let's see what he does with a Batman movie. You know, Um, it's not like what happened with Chloe Zhao and she goes out and makes, uh, you know, they like she does Nomadland and it's a tremendous movie and blows everybody away, punches everybody in the gut. It's it becomes a film for our time. And then they're like, hey, you know, it would be great if you did this huge Marvel movie, which just made no sense whatsoever. It could not have been more different than what her like her style was, her voice in filmmaking. I mean, and and you saw what happened with that. So Matt Reeves, though, is somebody who comes to the Batman from a background in Big time movie making. Cloverfield was the movie that kind of made him a name. And then he goes on to do Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes, which were phenomenal movies. Those Planet of the Apes movies, the Andy Serkis, Caesar Planet of the Apes movies, that trilogy that they just wrapped a couple years ago. I thought those were so good. I went and saw Dawn and War. I saw both of those in theaters. I did not see the first one. Uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes did not see that in in theaters, and I do think the titles are confusing as shit. I think that in like twenty years from now, you're gonna have to look like people are gonna have to look online to know which movie to watch first, which is never a good thing. It just should, we shouldn't be able to tell by like looking at the title. Honestly, I know it's dumb to do one, two, three, whatever. Like that does kind of dumb things down, but there's a there's an ease to it that makes it work. And and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. And then the second one is called Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which makes no sense. Like, wouldn't the Dawn, wouldn't you think that would have been before the Rise? And then the War for the Planet of the Apes. Okay, I'll give them that one. That made sense for the last one. But, you know, I mean, you could kind of throw those in any order and it would make sense. So confusing titles, great movies. I loved them. I thought that as far as big budget, like, Popcorn entertainment goes, those are about as good as you're going to find. Action, like adult action cinema that doesn't involve people wearing capes. The Planet of the Apes movies, those were so good. I was sad to see them end. And I like, I I shed a tear, I think, at the end of War for the Planet of the Apes because it really ended on a a very real and human note. And Andy Serkis' performance in those movies was so good. But So Matt Reeves did a couple of those. And like I said, he did Cloverfield. So he comes to the Batman from that. And this is 
the best movie that he's done, I think. And this this is a career that he has just continually gotten better and better. And I think what we see with the Batman is a really fresh take on a character that has been done to death on every medium, every way. I mean, every year there's like five Batman things that come out on screen, whether they be animated or video games or live action films or TV things or whatever. And that's not even coming close to how many comics come out that feature the Batman every single year and graphic novels and stuff like that. So the Batman is just, he's all over the place. But what Matt Reeves does is he goes back to basics for his take on the Batman. And I think this was brilliant because if uh, what do you think of when you think of Batman in theaters over the last 20 years, Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, Dark Knight's Dark Knight Rises trilogy is what you instantly think of, obviously. I mean, those rewrote the rules on kind of superhero cinema and brought us into what we now have, which is a, a box office where it's only superhero movies that become uh, the the biggest earners every time, no matter what. Doesn't matter how obscure the superhero is, the movie's going to be serious. It's going to look a certain way, and it's going to have big time actors in it, um, and it's going to be part of some bigger series of films. And and those Nolan movies really were groundbreaking in a lot of ways. And but what Matt Reeves does in the Batman is takes it in a totally different direction. So. When I think of The Dark Knight and I think of that whole trilogy, my favorite part of the entire trilogy, like what's your favorite part? Is it the the big action set pieces? Is it the big like fight on the airplane at the beginning of The Dark Knight Rises, which was really cool? Is it the 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 car chases with the crazy Batmobile and the, the semi-truck getting flipped over on its top? Um, um, is it that kind of stuff or is it... What's my favorite part of the entire trilogy, which is the opening of The Dark Knight, when we get into a bank heist down on the ground with Joker's thugs, and they are just scaring the daylights out of people and robbing a bank, and that's really it. And you don't know where it's going, you don't know what the point is, but you just know this is dangerous, and it's a heist film, essentially, at that point. It feels like Michael Mann's Heat. Um, And that's one of my favorite movies ever, so there's a reason why that's my favorite part of The Dark Knight. So the Batman is basically like if you like that part of the Dark Knight, we're going to do that for three hours, essentially, because he makes this movie about Batman as a detective and not about Batman as a crime fighter, uh, superhero kind of guy. It's not really about gadgets. It's not really about fighting prowess, although all that stuff's in there and there is action in it. But this is a movie about finding clues and solving crimes. And it's a serial killer movie starring Batman. I mean, essentially, this is a seven-style serial killer film with the lead detective being uh, Bruce Wayne Batman. And Robert Pattinson, who, like I said, I think was an object of ridicule when he was announced being cast in this role, and most people will be, I mean, it's hard to to ever... It's like James Bond. Whoever you cast, people are going to just, like, immediately... It's going to feel like a bad choice. There are very few... Like, when Daniel Craig was announced as James Bond, remember, everybody dogged on him. They were like, he's James Blonde. He could never play that part. And now, now that we're at the end of his run as Bond, it's like, well, who could replace 
uh, Daniel Craig. I mean, he has been James Bond for so long and has changed that character in such a, a meaningful way that it was like, well, duh, who else would they have picked other than Daniel Craig? I mean, he's the perfect guy for that role. So Robert Pattinson seemed like an offbeat choice, um, but ends up being a great choice for this play on Batman, which is a moodier, more, um, you know, angry, younger version of the character than what we were seeing Christian Bale play, than what we were seeing Michael Keaton play, Val Kilmer, anybody that has done Batman on screen in a big budget Batman movie. This is a different kind of take on that character. This is a younger, shakier, uh, earlier on in his career, um, very much needing Alfred, who's played by Andy Serkis, brilliantly in this movie. It's probably my favorite piece of casting in the entire film. Uh, I just think Serkis, as, and so many great actors have played Alfred, right? And you have this picture in your head of what Alfred is like, but Serkis brings a toughness to Alfred that, uh, I mean, it's like you, you think, like, if Batman got in trouble out in the field, he could call this version of Alfred and, and he would probably come out and kick a little bit of ass with him if he needed him to. I mean, he's not just going to cook him dinner when he comes home. He could go out there and mix it up with him if he needed him to. And that's what Andy Serkis brings to this role. But he really brings like a fatherly influence. And that's what Alfred has always been a father figure to Bruce Wayne. But here, Bruce Wayne really needs it because he's just young and he's not, he's not mature enough yet to be out completely on his own uh, making these kind of big calls. And he's, he doesn't have the know-how yet. I mean, this isn't like we're not looking at a guy who we imagine has spent all this time training in martial arts and all this stuff. Even though he's good in a fight, it's like he he's just he's raw. And that's the whole deal with this movie. This is a raw take on Batman. But it's uh, really the film itself is so fun to look at and the story is so fun to follow because the serial killer story is one that follows the Riddler and um, I don't want to tell you who plays the Riddler just in case you haven't seen the movie but um, the performance is total it's it's overacting I mean it's scenery chewing 101 I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city you're part of this too how am I part of this? Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. Bruce Way. But again, it's Batman. And it works for me because, th- I mean, this is, the ki- this is one of the places where that can be excused. And look at what Jack Nicholson did in Tim Burton's Batman. Stole every single scene he was in because he's completely over the top. Look at what Heath Ledger did. Totally over the top in a lot of his scenes. Um, I mean, brilliant performance, but over the top. We're not exactly talking about um, subtle, you know, like we're not exactly talking about the kind of acting that you don't notice if you're sitting at the back of the theater. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, I mean, it's really uh, over the top kind of stuff and it works. I mean, these are these are superhero broad villains. Um, And in the case of the Riddler in this movie, again, uh, this is a person that is not well and believes his own lies and, um, you know, goes full in on this character that he has created for himself in laying these riddles out for Batman to follow. And, of course, he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and really 
He's not. He kind of just needs a, a hug at the end of the day. Uh, but John Chichuro is also in it. Colin Farrell, totally unrecognizable as the Penguin. Uh, so it's a great cast all the way through. But, you know, the person who steals every single scene they are in, and I'm talking ruthlessly, and I guess it makes sense because of her character, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Selena Kyle. She just burns, scorches the scenery uh, every time she appears on scene uh, on screen. And it's like this is one of those roles that is notoriously sexy. Every woman that has played it has just been, uh, I mean, just smoking, right? I mean, it's just part of the character. And you think about Michelle Pfeiffer in the cat suit. And, um, I mean, even Anne Hathaway did a very nice job with it, a more demure version of uh, Selena Kyle. But Michelle Pfeiffer in the rubber cat suit is the one that a lot of people, I think especially my age, think of in playing this part. And I think Zoe Kravitz actually surpassed her honestly and her and Robert Pattinson are so good together they have legitimate chemistry and uh, it really comes together in a very nice way whenever they are on screen together because you need Batman and Catwoman to have that sexy uh, kind of playful banter and uh, and the will they won't they thing going on between them I mean it's it's the key dynamic it's what makes Catwoman a character that keeps popping up in Batman fiction uh, for you know forever because she's really the only one of the villains that has that kind of a, a of a dynamic with Batman that he will let himself even get at all vulnerable with, um, you know, one of the only people, period, that he will let himself get vulnerable with. So it's a fascinating character, and I think that Zoe Kravitz and Robert Pattinson do a uh, uh, do justice to these really interesting classic American characters. Uh, in bringing them alive again for yet another generation. Here we are, another Batman, another generation. And I think it uh, it, it worked beautifully. This is a, a movie that now I guess they're going to do sequels to again. And, you know, I mean, is it going to get worn into the ground? Is, are we going to be able to sit through this kind of relentless atmosphere again and again? I don't know. Will they capture lightning in a bottle again? Probably not. I mean, curb your enthusiasm as usual. Uh, but the Batman itself, as it stands right now, fantastic piece of work. And, um, you know, certainly one of the better, like I was talking, I was bemoaning last month about the, the kind of the dearth of, uh, of, uh, adult cinema, like movies made for adults and big budget movies made for adults to go see. And the Batman is one of these movies, uh, and, uh, you know, again, I mentioned that it was three hours long. The length is going to be a sticking point for some people. You're going to probably have a hard time finishing it in a night, but I, I did not feel like it showed its length at all. The whole time I was watching this movie and I, I didn't know how long it was going in, which maybe was a good thing. Um, but I didn't know how long it was. I love long movies anyway. I'm a, I'm a sucker for anything that's three hours plus, uh, you know, sign me up all day. But this was one that I, I just thought did not drag whatsoever. Beth is not so much a sucker for anything that's three hours plus, especially not in the theater, and especially if we can't pause it and come back tomorrow after she's gone to sleep. But she really liked it too, and she was into it the entire time So uh, and had no complaints about the length when it was over. So I think coming from her, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty impressive thing because I haven't seen many movies this length that could uh, really – hold her attention as well as the Batman did 
um, all in a single night. So just a, a really phenomenal piece of filmmaking that I think they should be very proud of. And here it is again, Batman being a character that another filmmaker turns into something that we feel like we have not seen before. I don't think this is as transformative as when Batman Begins came out. I mean, this doesn't feel like something that different, that earth-shaking, but this feels like something that was crafted with care and was a serious piece of cinema, which is more than you can say for a lot of movies that are made at this kind of a budget and with this much studio oversight. So I think Matt Reeves has pulled something off here that is is remarkable, and I cannot wait to see what he does next, whether it's more Batman or or not. Um, I don't know how he could top himself because this is a really great um, this is a really great entry into the Batman canon, but also just into the superhero canon. Period. Um, it's going to be one of the better superhero movies that you've ever seen. I think if you sit down to watch it, because it's a serial killer movie starring Batman. So what is not to like? It's dark, of course. It's brooding. It's Batman. What else is it going to be? It's not going to be like unless it's Adam West. It's not going to be really funny and silly. Uh, it's going to be deadly serious, and that's how this movie is. The, the soundtrack is great. The movie looks good. Um, and I think it's, it was just what I needed to get back into the cinema and see something on the big screen again after two plus years. So I thank Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz for being so sexy on screen that they helped me forget about a global pandemic for a couple hours while I sat and watched this movie and drank up every second of them, um, being on screen together. How are you supposed to be? Unvengeance. So the Batman is now streaming on HBO Max. Check it out. Uh, you won't regret it. It's a really, really cool movie. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. All right, so usually this is where I would toss things over to Andy to uh, let him talk about what's streaming and music and also give you 
his five songs to add to our never-ending perfect Spotify playlist, which you can find if you just search Stream Police Podcast on playlist. Uh, on I'm sorry, on Spotify. If you just search Stream Police Podcast, you will find the playlist. Um, and it is right there for you to stream, to favorite, and to have in your uh, library to check out whenever you feel like it. The playlist is simply called the Stream Police Podcast Playlist. And it has every song that is available on Spotify anyway that Andy and I in a few occasions have added to the playlist. And since Andy's not here, I'm going to give you five more songs to add to the playlist this month. So five songs for you. Let's cue them up right now. First off, I'm going to start with a bummer because, man, I'm sure you heard... The, the loss of Naomi Judd, of the Judds, the matriarch of that family. Um, and, it, I mean, she died of suicide. And this is something that has gotten some really great musicians in the last few years alone. I mean, over the years, it's countless. But in the last few years alone, um, you've had a lot of musicians taking their own lives. And iconic musicians... And I think uh, calling Naomi Judd iconic is perfectly reasonable. And she was really an an icon for so many people who love country music. And even people who are just kind of into the genre, maybe they grew up with it with their parents like I did in the 90s listening to the Judds. Um, And her voice is one of those that uh, uh, we will remember forever. So I wanted to give you one song that I really love her on. And uh, it's the immortal Young Love, Strong Love by the judge. As they talked a little while, he passed by. She smiled at him, he just said hi. He was thinking to himself as he walked away. Man, I'd like to find a girl, her someday. Young Love, Strong Love. It's a new love They're gonna make it through the hard times Walk off those lines Yeah, these ties will bind Young love So rest in peace, Naomi Judd. And uh, you just, you never know what's going on with somebody else. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, in this situation. Um, and it really made me think of another great country music song by another late great country music artist. Uh, and this time George Jones and his iconic tune, who's going to fill their shoes when I heard that Naomi Judd died. So here you go. Who's going to fill their shoes by George Jones. No, there'll never be another red headed stranger. A man in black and false prison blue The Okie from Muskogee Or hello darling Lord I wonder who's gonna fill their shoes Who's gonna fill their shoes Who's gonna stand that tall Who's gonna play the Opry and the Wabash Cannonball? Who's gonna 
give their heart and soul to get to me and you. Lord, I wonder who's gonna fill their shoes. All right, let's pick up the tempo a little bit. Let's go to 1975, Tower of Power. Uh, if you like a little bit of horns with your music, um, this is from the band's uh, Urban Renewal album, and this is a song that's just all too true, but also just all too grooving. There's only so much oil in the earth by Tower of Power. you ever heard an environmental message given with such a disgusting show of musicianship? I mean, honestly, how can you, how can you do that? It's like a Ted talk put to put over a, an insane groove. Let's hear a little bit more of that. Speaking of grooving, let's go to Johnny Guitar Watson, uh, one of my favorites from the 1970s, just a, a supreme lyricist who kind of always had his tongue firmly in his cheek, and it was present on this song as well, Superman Lover. I can never tell if he's being serious or if he's just having a laugh. I don't know. I, either way, the song is great. Listen, I can leap tall buildings. In a single bound When it come to getting over you, baby Well, I can't get off the ground But they call me the Superman lover, yeah They call me the Superman lover, yeah But something wrong And finally, you know, when Andy and I were in college together at Wright State, we hosted, we co-hosted a radio show together every week that we loved going in and doing every single week. It was called Sleaze City. And all we would do literally is play songs that were sleazy. That was the whole point of the show. And we had a very dedicated listener uh, listenership, and we had so much fun doing that show. We wouldn't have cared if anybody listened, honestly. Um but when we were doing that show, we would play legitimately sleazy songs, but then we would also sometimes pull out like old songs that really were not sleazy, but we would convince the audience that they were sleazy. Like we would be like, no, listen, listen, this song is, it's about sex. That's all this song is about. Like, it's not about anything. Forget what it's about sex. Okay. And maybe we were right. Maybe we were wrong, but we tried to convince you that it was actually a sleazy song and it belonged on sleaze city. And I think one of the great ones that we used to try to convince the listeners to every few weeks or so that was a sleazy masterpiece 
was Perry Como's Papa Loves Mambo. Papa loves mambo. Mama loves mambo. Look at him sway with it, getting so gay with it, shout no lay with it, wow. Papa loves mambo. Papa loves mambo. Mama loves mambo. Mama loves mambo. Papa does great with it, swings like a gate with it, he loses weight with it now. We must have played that song a hundred times on college radio. Who plays Papa Loves Mambo on college radio in the... uh, <laughs> in like 2010, 2009, 2010. Well, Andy said, and I did that. So anyway, those are five more songs for you added to the stream police podcast playlist. Check it out at uh, Spotify. Just search stream police podcast. You can also uh, listen to the show anytime on Spotify while you're there as well. So another show that uh, I got into since the last time we spoke is uh, Star Trek Picard, which is now about to begin its third and final season, I guess is what it's going to be, uh, for uh, on, on CBS, what used to be called CBS All Access, and is currently known as Paramount Plus. Hopefully we'll just continue to have that name because we can't, I mean, we got to... Stop changing these names, guys, okay? Paramount Plus is better than CBS All Access. I will say that. It makes me think of, of bigger things than just like NCIS and, um, you know, ep- old reruns of The Amazing Race or whatever. But anyway, so Paramount Plus is where all the Star Trek stuff is going to eventually live. And my God, is there a wealth of it. And if you know this show, you know I'm a lover of Star Trek. Um, I, uh, Star Trek, the next generation, I consider it among the greatest, you know, probably the 10 greatest television shows ever made. It's, it's right on that list for me. A few shows have brought me as much joy as that one, uh, over the years. So Jean-Luc Picard played by the, the immortal Patrick Stewart is to me, one of the great characters, uh, on TV in the last 30 years, 40 years, maybe ever, honestly. Um, so the fact that they were going to bring Picard back and do a new series with him, uh, with Patrick Stewart again playing Picard, an older Picard, and they were going to bring back all these great, you know, players from the next generation, and we're going to see those characters interacting again on screen in different situations, was well, sounded like a dream come true to me. So, anyway, I finally caught the first season of Star Trek Picard. I have not watched the second season yet, so my review here will just be talking about the first season. But I just want to say overall on the show, I think this is a show that really the mileage is going to vary uh, immensely. It's going to be completely about how much did you like Star Trek The Next Generation and how much do you like Jean-Luc Picard because this is the the entire passport into the show. If you've never seen Star Trek The Next Generation, I don't know that there's a lot for you here in Picard to watch. I mean, because it all kind of hinges on knowing that character knowing his travels, knowing what he's been about. You do get some good performances in this show, and I think that's the thing that the Paramount Plus Star Trek shows um, have gone for versus the classic Star Trek series. It's been more about these kind of, you know, first off, movie-level special effects and visuals. Uh, It's been more about building characters 
that are uh, more realistic characters and more consistent characters. And it's been, you know, more about kind of putting a premium on acting and casting small cast. And uh, we're going to push the actors to the limit as far as their dramatic credibility goes versus the older shows was it was more about adventure. And the next generation was about adventure and problem solving and puzzles as much as it was about characters. And I think that's why I loved that show so much. And that's why I'm a little bit more lukewarm on Picard because the spirit of the next generation is just not here. This is a, you know, I mean, it's the classic thing that we get a lot now. It's the, it's darker looking, it's darker in tone. Um, everything has to pick up on what happened the week before. I mean, we can't have any, we're, we're not, we don't have any monster of the week episodes, any planet of the week episodes, which was like all Star Trek, the next generation and the original series were, it was a different planet every time. So if you didn't like, you know, if you weren't into the, the Klingons, then next week, you know, we're going to go to some other planet. And if you weren't into the Romulans, then, okay, next week we're going to go see a different group of villains or whatever. So, But Star Trek Picard is just one story, and it's short seasons, 10 episodes in the first season, um, and uh, 10 episodes again in the second season. I'm not sure how many are going to be in uh, the third season, but just... One of those, th- like, it, it, it's it's trying to be more like the kind of dramatic, you know, TV shows that are made for binge watching rather than being made for syndication, which is what the old Star Trek shows were all made for. And I'm not just talking about Next Generation. I'm talking about Deep Space Nine and Voyager, Enterprise, all those older Star Trek shows, those kind of middle generation Star Trek shows, they were made for syndication. So the whole point was that anyone could turn the show on at any time, figure out the characters and, and get involved in whatever this episode was talking about, because really it wouldn't matter that much uh, when you jumped into the show. But Star Trek Picard is not that way. It's one of those you have to watch all the way through. It's got a previously on every episode. And you know, I mean that gets a little bit old when you're talking about Star Trek, because that's not really what I'm interested in. I'm just interested in the, the exploration. I'm interested in the problem solving and I'm interested in the kind of, uh, colorful supporting characters that come in and and come and go from the orbit of these main characters every so often. And that really doesn't happen very much in star Trek Picard, but I'll tell you what I really did like about star Trek Picard. I really liked Alison pill, who is just one of those actors that anything she's in phenomenal. Um, you know, the newsroom on HBO, I think Andy was a fan. Beth liked it. We, you know, watched it years ago and I never, it just never got its hooks in me. Uh, Aaron Sorkin. I mean, he's very hit or miss. And on TV, I think he's just, it's just too much. It's like a too big of a a canvas for him, for his particular talents. Uh, I'm going to recommend a, an Aaron Sorkin movie that I love coming up in just a little bit, but on TV, I didn't like the newsroom very much at all. And maybe I was too close to it also from working in news. It just wasn't it just wasn't my bag. But Allison Pill was a bright spot in that cast the entire time. I thought she consistently outdid most of the other people in the cast, probably with the exception of uh, Jeff Daniels. Uh, and maybe even including Jeff Daniels several times, but she was just she's very good in this show and she plays uh an an interesting character who is like a um a doctor who's an expert uh in 
uh, synths and synthetic beings uh, like Lieutenant Commander Data from the uh, the Next Generation, and um, so there. Basically, what the story of the Picard series is uh, is that Data has essentially a a daughter, you know, for lack of a better term, like this is Data's daughter is a is a character. And um, the the plot gets very twisty and turny as it goes on, but uh, Picard is trying to keep Data's bloodline alive, if I can put it that way. I'm I'm just trying not to give much away because there's like twists in every single episode, basically. So anything I say is going to spoil something for you. But I really did love uh, Allison Pill. I also liked uh, Issa Briones a lot as well. She plays the daughter of Data and does some really nice work. I hadn't seen her before. Uh, Harry Treadaway shows up and does good work. He re- he was really great in uh, Penny Dreadfuls, another show I raved about on this show years ago. Uh, he played Frankenstein in that show, Doctor Frankenstein, and uh, he's he's really good. Plays a Romulan um, in this series and did really nice work, I thought. And Michelle Hurd also uh, came in and really knocked me out. I was not a like I've never been a Law and Order person, but she was a uh, she was on SVU, I guess for several years. And a lot of people remember her from that. Um, and I didn't know her from that at all. I just pretty much know her from this. And I thought she was very good, uh, in her role as well. It's kind of a, an old grizzled alcoholic, uh, former colleague of Picard who begrudgingly gets involved with this mission of his because she has her own personal business to take care of across the galaxy. So everybody's got a kind of a chip on their shoulder in this series. And uh, it's a very small crew. It's a very small scale kind of Star Wars, Star Trek story. I'm sorry. Um, And it's a much smaller scale Star Trek story than what you get usually on anything involving Star Trek on television or in the in the film. So, uh, you know, if you want something that is a little bit quieter in Star Trek and is a little bit more character driven, then Picard is probably what you're looking for. Um, but it wasn't really what I was looking for and it didn't have the sense of adventure and the sense of excitement that I look for, that I'm yearning for when I go to Star Trek. Cause that's what I want from Star Trek. I want to see the idealistic look at, uh, the, the world of the future and I want to see the best and the brightest solving problems using diplomacy, um, and, uh, figuring out how to make us all feel safe and sound at the end of the day. So, that wasn't really what I got from Picard, but, uh, you know, I'll be damned if I'm not going to find the, the, you know, watch the second season and, and probably check out the third season as well. Just basically because I love Patrick Stewart as John Luke Picard so much. And he's again, you know, great in this role. And I'm so glad that he agreed to come back and do this. And, um, you know, it's it's just it's cool to see him. It's cool to see Jerry Ryan playing Seven of Nine again. It's cool to see Brent Spiner back playing Data, um, among other characters. It's it's really cool to see like Jonathan Frakes again. Um, so exciting. I mean, if you like Star Trek: The Next Generation at all, then you know it's worth spending ten hours, twenty hours, whatever, watching Star Trek: Picard. Uh, but if you you aren't into the next generation, then it's probably a skip, I would say for you. But if you love the next generation like I do, um, you know, check it out because it's a logical sequel. It is a sequel to Picard. So, you know, after you've seen. But I will say that you need to have seen the movies, the Star Trek Next Generation movies, um, not just the series 
to understand um, kind of where things are. And if you've only seen the movies, you probably would be just as fine, honestly, uh, than you know having not seen any of it. I think you would be fine getting into this show and, and understanding where everyone's coming from and, and what's going on. But uh, Star Trek Picard is streaming two seasons right now on Paramount Plus. If you want to check it out, you can also find it on uh, Blu-ray and DVD out there. You need a place to hide out. Shields up. Perimeter scans to max. We've had a little trouble around here lately with the Xinti. Best to run anti-cloaking scans to Romulans. Mm -hmm. Initiate anti-cloaking scans. Deep in Romulans for the rest of your life. I believe I also reminded you of Newton's fourth law of thermodynamics. No good deed goes unpunished. I told Kester to show your friend how to find the shower. Thank you. She's a friend. Soji. She appears fully human. Her face, her voice, her body language all express clear emotion. The poor thing seems traumatized. But? I sense nothing. I can't read her. I think I'm in over my head. All right, let's get back to movies and talk about the best thing I watched this month. Every single episode of the show, I like to tell you what was the best thing I watched this month? And I watched uh, quite a few movies that I hadn't seen before in the last month, several that I had already seen before. I told you that I loved the Batman, but I think what I'm going to single out is the best thing that I watched this month was a much smaller film uh, that really knocked me out um, when I kind of popped it in and sat down with it. And that was 2018's The Old Man and the Gun. This was Robert Redford in what's supposedly his last hurrah, his last movie ever. And boy, if he was going to go out, I mean, I can't think of a more fitting film for him to ride out on than this one. And um, this is just a simple, very well-crafted, sharp-scripted um small little gem of a movie that was shot mostly in Cincinnati uh, and Cincinnati looks great standing in for Dallas, Texas. Um, And uh, you know, I've been to both cities and I got to say, I think Cincinnati is more beautiful anyway. So I think they made the absolute right decision here. You know, I'd rather have Cincinnati standing in for Dallas than Dallas standing in from for Cincinnati. If you're asking me, Uh, but the old man, the gun is just about this trio of, aging bank robbers who are just making small time hit after small time hit and getting away with it every single time they walk into a place they come away with a little bit of cash and they keep moving along on their merry way and never get caught and uh, this kind of police officer who wants to really bring them down but he's not he's not obsessed to the point of where you know it's like ruining his life or anything it's not that old kind of worn out trope of the detective who's giving it all to bring down the bad guys. He wants to catch them, but at the same time, he kind of understands that, you know, I mean, there are bigger fish to fry out there than a few old guys who are stealing a couple hundred dollars every few weeks from a bank and then rolling out without hurting anybody. And Casey Affleck plays the the cop while Robert Redford, Tom Waits and, um, Danny Glover, if you can think of a more motley trio than that, played the, the, the three bank robbers and Sissy Spacek, Great, as always, um, plays Redford's love interest in this film. And, and it's just what you think of when you think of, like, adult, again, 
mature filmmaking, but like even to an, a, a more extreme level than the Batman, because this is really like, I don't want to call it like an old person movie just because it has old people in it, but it's the kind of movie that old people will love. And I think young people who have a great eye for cinema will also really dig this movie. The music was fantastic too. The original score, very jazzy moving the entire time. And the entire like film was just, no fat whatsoever, all muscle. And it really just like, it moved like a cat from start to finish. And the film was written and directed by David Lowry. And he's a guy that just two months ago in episode 99, I said the best thing I watched this month was his film, The Green Knight. So David Lowry is a guy that is quickly becoming one of my favorites. I think it's because he takes the writing so seriously. The script for The Green Knight was also tremendous. No words wasted, no scenery wasted. And The Old Man and the Gun, it's a 180-degree flip from what The Green Knight was. Totally different kind of a movie. Um, But every bit the level of craftsmanship and care taken in writing and putting it together um, and the acting was was just phenomenal. Tom Waits was so good in this movie. I mean, when you can like almost show up Robert Redford as far as being natural on screen, that's tr- that's tremendous. I want to see Tom Waits just do a little bit more acting because, I mean, his one of my favorite movies ever is Shortcuts, and he's so good in that too. I just feel like I haven't seen Waits get enough acting parts because he's certainly good enough to do it. Uh, but The Old Man and the Gun... Give it a watch uh, if you know you happen to see it streaming on one of the services that you've got. Right now, as I'm recording this, it's not streaming anywhere with a subscription. You can rent it uh, across all the platforms for like you know a couple bucks. But um, keep an eye out for it and uh, look for it at your library or whatever, and uh, give it a watch because it's just a, it moves, man. If you're looking for a movie that you want to like watch with your parents and you won't have to feel like awkward about it or anything, this is another. This is a great choice. It's a it's a good one. Um, and uh, I think I really like it. It's not. It's really not even violent either. As far as a crime movie goes, it's one of those very rare crime movies where there really are no bad guys and there are no victims in this movie either. Like the people who get ripped off by these guys, actually, like they don't even mind it because they're so charming when they rob them. Um, it's the old gentleman bank robbers routine. Uh, but anyway, the old man and the gun from 2018. That's the best thing I watched this month. Anyway, it's Christmas time. I go out drinking. I come home late. The house is locked up like a federal prison. I, the only window available to me is a high window. And I get up into the high window and I get halfway through and I start losing my balance. And I'm hanging on to the Christmas tree. And the balls are falling and the tinsel's tinseling. And I see through the tinsel, I see my stepfather in his whitey tighties in a <laughs> combat position with both hands on his revolver. And he's ready to squeeze one off. And he says, freeze, freeze, sailor. <laughs> he's never referred to me as sailor before. It was a, a first. And so I, I, uh, things got worse from there. And, uh, and that's why I hate Christmas. <laughs> cool little movie that I let go by my radar a couple years ago when it came out, despite the fact that it was made in Cincinnati when I was living there. 
All right, now I want to tell you about uh, some movies streaming on Netflix, Prime Video, Hulu, and HBO Max at the end of every episode. If this is your first time joining us, I'd like to help you build a better queue. I'll give you something dark and something light, usually, that's streaming on all those four major platforms. Um, and uh, th- these come with my full-throated recommendation, every single one of them. So you can rest assured knowing that. So anyway, pull out Netflix. Let's see now. On Netflix, something light for you. I got to give it to you. Jackass the movie. Come on. It's a touchstone from the mid-2000s. Um, actually, the whole trilogy is now streaming on Netflix. So if you want to check them out before Jackass Forever hits, I don't know if that's going to be hitting Netflix, but you know, if it is, it seems like they're getting ready for it. But anyway, the Jackass trilogy is there. So if you watch the first one and it's not your thing, then, you know, nothing lost. I bet you'll laugh a few times, but nothing lost if not. But if you love it, then watch the other two because it's just more of the same. And truly, Jackass the movie was one of those that one of those films that gave me nothing but unbridled joy when I went and saw it in theaters all those years ago. It was just uh, talk about a fun time at at the movie theater with everyone in the house just like laughing their ass off at everything that was happening on screen, and you couldn't wait to see what the next what the next stunt or prank was going to be. So that's streaming now. On Netflix, something dark for you on Netflix, and boy, it is dark. Menace to Society from 1993. This is a grim film. This is kind of like, um, you know, th- this whole subgenre of like coming of age movies set in quote unquote the hood, usually in like South Central Los Angeles. And Boys in the Hood was kind of the movie that that launched this genre to uh, to prominence. Um, but Menace to Society is every bit as good as Boys in the Hood, and it is, I think, even darker. It's like, t- let's take it and, and let's go even. The the whole opening sequence of Menace to Society is one of the most upsetting that I can remember happening in modern movie history, and it just kind of sets the scene for the film. And uh, the Hughes brothers have become icons of not only black cinema but American modern American cinema uh, because of what they started with Minister Society and carried on from there with movies like Dead Presidents, which is another one that I absolutely love. But check out Minister Society now on Netflix if you're looking for something grim and dark to watch. On Prime Video, there's I didn't really find anything light, so I'm going to give you two darker ones there. Uh, but this one is a little bit lighter. 2006's Lucky Number Slevin. Did you ever see this one? Really weird title. Uh, but it's a really weird kind of offbeat, quirky movie as well. It's 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 kind of cut from the same cloth as like The Sting, the Robert Redford, Paul Newman classic. It's the, set in the world of con men, so you got a lot of fast talking, slick people. Uh, nothing is nobody is who they seem. Nothing is what it seems. Everyone's ripping everybody off all the time, um, and it comes. It, it all ends up in this great kind of twist at the end. Um, and the movie stars Josh Hartnett. Back when he was really like a you know pretty big box office draw there in the mid two thousands, and um, it's got a really good turn in it from Bruce Willis, who of course you know is is now retired from acting with you know that really sad end to his career, how it's going to all um, you know kind of go down. But we can remember so many brilliant performances from Bruce Willis over the years, and Lucky Number Slevin is one that I think kind of went under the radar a little bit. Uh, but you can't imagine anybody else playing the part that he plays in this film other than the great Bruce Willis. So check out Lucky Number Slevin streaming now 
on uh, Amazon Prime Video. It's a cool movie that you might have missed from 2006. Uh, one that you probably didn't miss, but you should go back and watch again anyway. Also on Prime Video uh, from 1992, it's Aaron Sorkin's A Few Good Men. It's the movie that put Aaron Sorkin on the map and uh, you know showed a lot more people that Tom Cruise really, he can act, man. And he goes toe-to-toe with Jack Nicholson in one of the great scenes in movie history. And Demi Moore is awesome in this. Kevin Bacon is fin- uh, fantastic. Kevin Pollock. It's a great cast. Um, Kiefer Sutherland's nasty as hell in this movie. And I, it's one of those movies that every time it's on, I can't not watch it if I see it. The script is just f- perfect. And the dialogue just steaming. Uh, and it's just a, it's got all the atmosphere. It's got the great music. It's a, it's a perfect film. Honestly, in my opinion, perfect film. Rob Reiner behind the camera. It's awesome. It's A Few Good Men from 1992. And actually, it's streaming uh, on as part of Amazon's Free V, which used to be called IMDB TV. They just changed it to Free V, which is an, just it's a crappy name. But look, it's free, and you just have the Amazon app. You open it up. You don't even have to have an Amazon Prime account. Search a few good men and you'll see it in there streaming free with ads. So you watch a few ads and then you get to watch one of the best movies of the last 30 years. Okay. It's 30 years old this year. Can you believe that? A few good men. Feels like it came out yesterday on Hulu. Uh, again, I'm going to give you two dark ones cause there weren't any really good comedies to hit Hulu this month. Maybe I'm just being too picky on the comedies, but I'm going to give you two dark ones. This first one is going out to my boy, Andy Sedlak, because it's one of his favorites. And he is, I swear to God, the only person on earth who likes this movie. 2010's The Wolfman with Benicio Del Toro and Anthony Hopkins. Like, why wasn't this great? Doesn't This should have been like one of the great horror movies ever, but it just landed with such a thud. I actually have fond memories of watching this movie because it was one of the very first movies that Beth and I watched together. She worked at a video store. She used to get the movies like before they came out and we'd watch them. And one of the first, like when we first started dating, The Wolfman, this was 2010 when we first started dating, we watched it uh, at her apartment. And, um, you know, like neither of us really had any strong thoughts on it, but I remember kind of watching it with her eating fast food. And uh, I still think it's funny that Andy always, he's the only person on earth that will defend this movie till the day he dies. He loves it. It's like a Halloween tradition. So check it out now streaming on Hulu, The Wolfman. I think I'm going to watch it again just to, just out of respect for my co-host. And uh, also on Hulu from 2014, very different movie, uh, Still Alice. This was the drama uh, that looks into early onset Alzheimer's and um, it, it starred Julianne Moore um, as this woman who, you know, was a, a, a very smart, I can't remember if she's like a college professor or she's a writer or something like that. But anyway, somebody who's like, has a brilliant way with words and suddenly cannot find words anymore, cannot think of the words for basic things. And it turns out she has early onset Alzheimer's. And the story is devastating. Her performance is is so strong. And it's one of those movies that uh, you will never forget if you see it. So it's it's not easy to watch. I'm not telling you. Turn it on if you're looking to have a few laughs with your buddies and drink some beer. Um, but you want to see an acting master class? 
Turn on Still Alice uh, right now, streaming on Hulu from 2014. And finally, on HBO Max, I got a couple of uh, early 1990s picks for you, something light, 1995's Welcome to the Dollhouse. It's debatable whether this is light. It's kind of a black comedy, uh, but it is funny. And it's one of the most offbeat, weirdo, (laughs) I don't even know, like coming-of-age comedies that you will ever see. And I promise you that. Directed by the great Todd Solondz. And he's one of those guys that either you know his name or you don't. Either you're a fan or you have no clue who he is. And I happen to be a big fan. So Welcome to the Dollhouse is one of those great ones that I go back to every few years. And and it's just the whole vibe and aura of it is so strange. And it's so, the the movie is sad, uh, but also really funny. And uh, you just hope that everything for that little girl just turns out better. She is so painfully awkward growing up and I think totally captures how awkward and painful those middle school years are. So that's Welcome to the Dollhouse, streaming now uh, on HBO Max. It's it's one of those movies that's hard to find. I don't remember seeing it streaming really ever, anywhere before. So that's why I was excited to tell you that it is streaming now on HBO Max. Take a chance on it. We've built up a rapport on this show, I feel. If you trust me at all, turn on Welcome to the Dollhouse and uh, and get back to me. Let me know what you thought of it because it's, it's, it's really unlike anything else. Uh, especially in the teen movie category. And something dark for you on HBO Max, 1993's The Fugitive. Best Picture nominee, could have won, I would say. It just doesn't quit. It is so thrilling. It's like everything about it works. The story is engaging from minute one. Harrison Ford is just classic movie star, uh, you know, totally charismatic, but, um, you know, you, you are wondering to yourself what happened here. Uh, is there a chance that he could be guilty? Um, and, and what is happening? Who is setting this guy up? It's just a great cat and mouse game and it's so thrilling and so fun to watch. I, I never get tired of the fugitive. It's a brilliant movie. It was great when it came out. Still great today from 1993. So there you go. Those are uh, eight movies for you to stream right now to add to your lists on Netflix, Jackass the Movie and Menace to Society, on Prime Video, Lucky Number Slevin and A Few Good Men, on Hulu, The Wolfman and Still Alice, and on HBO Max, Welcome to the Dollhouse and The Fugitive. Don't say, I never did anything nice for you, my friend. And that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. We'll catch you again in a month. Uh, I'm going to be taking my first trip ever out to California before the next time we speak. So I'll tell you how that went when I get back here on the other side of the map. Uh, Be safe. And uh, until then, I hope you'll uh, hit me up. If you have any uh, recommendations or you have any questions about anything, hit me up at theclintdavis at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Clint Davis and find Andy uh, at Andy Sedlak, and you can also email him at Sedlak Journal, S E D L A K Journal, at gmail.com. Talk to you in a month, my friend. Until then, stream on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.